Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast. Sons of Sequoia, March 12th, 2021. Here we go. How you doing, David? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, we got a big storm coming our way here in Colorado. Uh-huh. So I went to the grocery store. I got all my provisions. I'm just hoping no major property damage happens and we can get through it in one piece. Yeah, because they, they say it's going to be a lot of snow. A lot of snow. Three feet or so. Yeah, for people who don't live in Colorado, uh, that we do get snow, but it's not that way all the time. People no. think we live in snow 24/7. We don't. Mm-hmm. So this will be a big one. It'll come. It'll go. And it'll be that'll probably be, little, be the last snow uh, of the season. And we haven't had that much snow. No. Um, so today, do you know what we're talking about? Yeah, the uh, well, you have well, you had the the thumbnail up volleyball sex cults the. Uh, Talk about Nexium, the vow. The vow is a movie about Nexium. About uh, uh, what was the guy's name? Keith Ranieri. Keith Ranieri. That he uh, was. Uh, he had a lot of people uh, take vows. I guess uh, that uh, part of his organization. I'll put it organization group, whatever you call it. And uh, there was a movie about it. And I think he's in prison now, isn't he? Yeah. But anyway, it uh, the the history of that and the and the story of that is extremely interesting, and there's some very good lessons to learn, and we see some parallels. I think we see parallels today uh, of what Keith Raniere did in this uh, uh, in this organization that he developed and he grew and he and it changed and everything over time. Uh, but I see I see a lot of lessons. And I think the lessons, it's not alone. He's not alone. There have been other stories just like that. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and I think uh, it's good to talk about them. So should we watch the trailer before we get into our discussion? Before we get into it, let's watch the trailer. It's a good idea, David. Okay. Um, let me pull it up real quick. If we understood the world, and if we understood ourselves, that's worth everything. ESP Nexium is a methodology that allows people to optimize their behavior. Nexium is the umbrella company. Keith was the founder. He was a legend. Our main belief is to have people experience more joy in their lives. It's a worldwide organization. When conventional solutions don't work, maybe the unconventional way of thinking does. I was looking around at all these people that just didn't seem joyful. I started to get concerned. There's a secret organization in Nixium. They sign a lifetime vow of obedience, and they're branding girls. And they're trying to recruit other women to do this. I'm so strong. Like, you'd never be able to do what I just did. I always want to earn my authority. There's a lot of things about the organization. It's just not right. Our commitment is our power. You stay. There's no good way to leave, ever. I have to expose what's going on. This has to be stopped. There are a group of people who are going to the press. We are filing criminal charges. You're branding my what? Everybody is a blend of good and bad. We're playing some sort of game. Chances are I'm going to win. Nobody joins a cult. They join a good thing. 
There you go. Wow. <laughs> that was good. That was well done. That was good. Uh, they could have said more than that, <laughs> but it was it was a good trailer. Mm-hmm. So before and then, I mean, let's look at the definition of cult. Just uh, by the way, at the very end was the was the word cult mentioned, and, and it was mentioned by Ranieri. No, that was Mark, that was Mark Vicente. Oh, that was Mark said that. Yeah, they had Ranieri's face, but that was Mark Vicente. Okay, Mark. At the very end, the trailer mentioned cult. Mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, I think that could be classified as a cult. And so, uh, because everyone called it that. Yeah, let's see what the definition of cult was. Okay, so a system of religious veneration and devotion directed toward a particular figure or object. In this case, that would be Keith Ranieri, the cult mm -hmm. leader. A relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. That would be like if you had a Wiccan coven. And... You know, they go out into the woods and they rub mud on themselves and they chant incantations and they're worshiping whatever Wiccans worship. I, and, of course, I may be mischaracterizing what a Wiccan coven looks like. But a Christian would say, oh, they're, they worship the earth spirits. They, they're, they're Satanists. They're cultists. So there's not like a central figure like a David Koresh or a Jim Jones or Keith Ranieri, but because their religious practices, their sacraments are out of the mainstream, they become a cult for that reason. Well, I think the key words there are strange or sinister, mm -hmm. that it's not healthy and it's not good. I think that's the key. Well, strange could be healthy, just people don't understand it. Mm -hmm. um, so... In the Western world, if you go to, especially like you're from Oklahoma, you were born in the, the 40s, uh, if you explained Hinduism to them, <laughs> they would say, that sounds strange and sinister to me, but Hinduism is not a cult. Hinduism is a religion that's adhered to by nearly as many people as Christianity, you know? And it's polytheistic. Well, well in the Deep South, uh, well, in Oklahoma and... Uh, Catholicism was strange to a lot of Protestants. And, I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a church or anything, but when I went to a Catholic Mass for the first time, it did seem like there was a lot of rigmarole going around with the smoke <laughs> and the, the uh, preacher doing the things, you know. And I guess it's the same, too, for the first time I went to a synagogue and saw a Jewish uh, ceremony or whatever. Uh, you know, saying stuff in Hebrew, and it, it's it's strange to me. If it's not what you think is the right way to church, it's going to seem strange, even if it's Judaism or Catholicism. You know, if you're a Protestant, everything except for Protestantism seems strange. I, I'm thinking of when we went to the Baroque Chamber Orchestra at that Lutheran church. I think we've told the story <laughs> on the podcast before. Uh-huh. And uh, I asked you, is there a, like a big difference between Lutheranism and, and Episcopalianism? And you're like, no, not really. And this lady turns around. She's probably from the Lutheran. She's like, oh, yes, there is. Because uh, oh, um, when you're a member of the Lutheran church, those differences are very important. But if you're looking on the outside, if you're on the outside looking in, Lutheranism and Episcopalianism are practically the same thing. 
to the Baptists, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. Well, to, to a, to, to to a, a non to a non-religious person. To a non-religious person, they're very yeah. That's some as some a non-religious person, I'd say Methodism, Presbyterianism, Lutheranism, <laughs> Episcopalianism, Catholicism. I mean, I could identify more differences in Catholicism and the branches of Protestantism. Uh, I could see a difference there, but not that much of one. It's the same religion. Uh, but the differences between a Presbyterian and a Methodist, I, I couldn't tell you. Well, uh, there are like 30 different types of Baptists. Just Baptist, and there are like 20, 30 different types of Baptists, from the Anabaptist all the way through the Free Will Baptist, and the, mm -hmm. there's just, just Baptist. There's all different kinds. So it's not really about uh, the, the religion so much. It is it's the people. The people choose to worship in a different way. The third one, though, oh, yes. a, mis the, a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing. I think that's kind of what, what we're talking about today, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, and that's sort of when people say, oh, the Republican Party has become a cult. You know, Donald Trump doesn't really have the conservative values that have driven conservatism for the last 30 or 40 years. If he goes against those traditional values, and conservatism, almost by definition, is conserving those values. But if he goes against those values in a policy initiative he wants, like I want to give people $2,000 checks, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell says, we're conservatives. We don't just hand out money. That's literally communism. And... Uh, the conservatives or the, the Republicans, they become a cult. So it's like, well, the conservative value is don't hand out free money. That's literally communism. Uh, but Trump says he wants it. Therefore, what he wants is more important than my stated political beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, so it becomes you your admiration for a particular person sort of supersedes your ideologies. And I think that's what happened to a lot of people in Nexium in the bizarre volleyball cult called Nexium. That was covered in HBO's The Vow. Mm -hmm. so, so well, the, also, the other thing that happened, too, is, uh, and we see parallel, when I say parallels, I meant like in the Republican Party uh -huh. uh, and, and Trump, but even in The Vow, uh, Ranieri, and if you notice... Uh, this is another thing that I've noticed, uh, like in 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 the vow and Keith Raniere with uh, with Nexium. It started with joy. We just want to bring joy to people. We want people to have a come come to a place where they will be recognized, and they will have peace, and they will have joy. Now, if you stop there, who would not want that? Mm -hmm. Okay, and and they start. And in a place that that you can't disagree with it, everyone agrees with it. But once they get in there, as this trailer was saying, well, once you're here, you're beginning to actually have an excessive admiration for Keith Raniere, and so then it began to turn dark. Mm -hmm. And he would brand them. You have to take a vow. You have to give up all your money. Uh, all of a sudden, he owned you. Okay, well, wait a minute. That's that's not joy. Uh, your joy is in me. Okay, and so a lot of that began to change. 
Well, look at what a lot of things Trump said. Trump said, uh, oh, well, they are Republican in name only because they're not on my side. They don't support me. Yeah, it's not what they believe. They could be the most conservative person in the world. But if they don't support him, they're a Republican in name only. Yeah. So his and his, his Republican is me. So when you start focusing on one person, then all of a sudden that person, uh, that's moving in a direction of a cult. Yeah. Uh, and that that's why our that's why George Washington said, no, uh, don't call me King. Uh, what do you say? King. I'm not. Uh, and he's going to step down, and let someone else come in mm -hmm. because it's the people's republic. It is not uh, the leader's republic. And, and see, Trump was trying to say the opposite. Well, I think, like you say, Trump with conservatism and then there are Republicans in name only because they don't support me. Even though some of the things that I support are almost explicitly not conservative or Republican, but I am the Republican Party. I think Keith Ranieri did that with Nexium as well. It's, mm -hmm. do you want to maximize your joy and minimize your fear? And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm not joyful. Like, I think in the trailer you had Bonnie say, I looked around and I saw a lot of people that weren't joyful uh, because they're in a high control group. He's controlling their calories. He's controlling their sleep. And... They say, I, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah, maybe you're not strong enough. You know, maybe you're just ruled by fear and you don't want to have joy. But you sort of say, I will provide you joy. And you think of joy as an emotion, an emotion of good things happening to you. Well, he gets you into the cult and he redefines joy as doing what I say. And, and Bonnie, was the first, Bonnie was one of the first ones to say, wait a minute. What you say and what we're doing, they don't match. Okay, well, that doesn't go along the lines of excessive admiration for a person or thing, because whatever they say goes, no matter what it is. And she was the first, she, in the movie, she was the first person to actually question that. Yeah, because they went back and they had people in the 90s, as you know, 25 years ago, that left. And their lives were ruined by litigation, because Keith had a big war chest behind him from the Bronfmans who were the heirs to the Seagram's liquor fortune, one of whom, I don't know if both of whom, one of whom went down with the ship. So a lot of uh, Keith Ranieri's minions, I would say, the lady Nancy that was the teacher, they just turned state's evidence and sold Keith out because they knew that it was a big con, you know, but they were, you know, second in command, third in command. All of his generals and colonels they flipped on him, you know. If he was a mob boss, they flipped on him so that they could stay out of jail. Well, his financier, she went down with the ship. She did not testify against him. She got herself a hefty prison term because she was still a true believer. And as she was getting sent to prison, she issued a press release that says, I still believe his teachings can help the world. And it's like, you're heading to prison, lady. Like, what other evidence do you need that this was a bad idea? I don't, it's, but if you're in a cult and you truly believe it, excessive devotion, like in the, like in the, uh, in the definition. Well, one thing we say in this podcast is keep on talking and listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. And we'll say that when we sign off, right, David? That's right. But then wait a minute, let's try to understand her. Why did she, why did she stay loyal? Uh, it, did she see something there? 
that was better than anything she had before? Uh, did she see something there that that really was uh, something to her was worth going to prison for? Mm-hmm. So so some there's a lot of people in this world and and uh, everyone in the world. Uh, you and I have a pretty nice life, David. Mm-hmm. We have each other. We have Laura and we have Michael. And we have a family that's close knit. We've had a good history and a, uh, a lot of people don't. And so sometimes these cults give the, give some people something they've never had before and they will go down with a ship. So there may be reasons why she did that, you know? So, uh, it's easy to judge everyone and it's common to judge everyone according to your experience. That's true. But you haven't been with theirs. You don't know what their experiences are. So I just, I just throw that out there. Yeah. I think that's a very, very good point. And I have a point that I like to make that so the Bromfmans, they financed Keith Ranieri and he ruined hundreds and hundreds of lives with this cult. But I like to make out the point that their father, who was the guy that built up Seagram's liquor, he probably destroyed more lives than they did by selling poison to people. <laughs> and what is alcoholism if not a cult without a leader? You know, I mean, Karl Marx liked to say religion is the opiate of the masses. But I think in America, alcoholism is, alcohol is the opiate of the masses. And it's, that's not to say, like, because there's people that dabbled in Nexium and then they got out and they weren't in the high control group. They didn't move to Albany. You know, they may have gone to a meeting on the West Coast and said, oh, it's interesting, you know, but I think I'd rather go to yoga class and, you know, have my chakras read or whatever. They're those types of people. They're curious about alternative modalities of uh, achieving enlightenment, but they didn't full send Nexium and end up in a cult. Um, and there's people like that with alcohol, too. They can go out on the weekends and they can have a couple drinks, but there are people who ruin their lives. They go on four or five day benders. They alienate themselves from their families because they could go down to the local liquor store and buy a bottle of booze. And so people like to say the Bronfmans, yeah, they went to jail, or one of them at least went to jail, and she deserved it because of what she did with that cult. And it's like, well, maybe her dad deserved it too for what he did with his big company. But it's just the difference is that one's illegal and one's not. But the suffering caused, I think, would probably be far greater if you look at where the money came from. <laughs> yeah, that is a point, David. <laughs> but then again, uh, you could say the same thing about Henry Ford making the cars. How many people die in car accidents? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a good point. It's a very good point, but uh, and I actually, where do you? It's a good point because where do you draw the line? Mm-hmm. What what is is making alcohol a cult? Is what Keith Raniere did a cult? Was what Jim Jones did a cult? And where do you draw the line between that and making alcohol and making uh, cars? Uh, I I think I think. Uh, I think uh, humans, people, our society, I think you need to have uh, uh, a close-knit society where we watch out for each other 
And I think that we have to, uh, uh, how can I say this? Well, I know that, that our family is very close, mm-hmm. and I think that it's hard for any one of us to do anything without uh, all of us knowing or all of us putting our two cents in, right? Mm-hmm. And so who cares for us more? Uh, uh, our family for each other or some person out there that we don't know that can say we can give you joy. You can't give me any more joy than I have right now with my family. You know, you you can say it's more, but it's not. So I think a lot of it is, is, uh, uh, I guess where I'm trying to go with this is creating a, creating a family unit and creating a, a, any kind of family unit where people love each other, support each other, and, and as always honest with each other and care about each other. I think that's, that's the solution to a lot of these things that, that are coming down the pike. Because some people need what these cults have. But yeah, but Nexium uh, is a family unit, wouldn't you say? Nexium becomes your family unit. Nexium becomes everyone you associate with, everyone you know, all of your business partners. Like, they're all Nexium people. That's right. Um, and one of my favorite scenes, I think I could pull this up. Uh, this is the cast. Of course, it doesn't have the bad guys. These are the ones that probably HBO paid. You know what I mean? Yeah. So so Keith's not on here. He's and then Nancy, I believe her name was Nancy. And then her, oh, Nancy's daughter Lauren. Uh they were the bad guys. And then the Bromfmans obviously are not on here. So this is just and the documentary by virtue of you know these people Anthony, that's Nippy, I think. Yeah. Remember him? And Sarah uh-huh. Edmondson, Bonnie and Mark. And then Catherine Oxenberg was the mom. I think uh-huh. if they're listed here, HBO might have cut them a check, if that makes sense. Could be, yeah. And therefore, it these might. people are the good guys, quote unquote, in the documentary. But Mark Vicente, he was Keith's right hand man for years. That's right. And I think he only got out because his wife, Bonnie, said, This is not right. She was one of the first people in the documentary to see something that was not right. Of course, Keith had been doing this for years. And one episode that I really liked that a lot of people, because I think that you noted this and Laura noted this, it started to drag in the middle. You know, they start unfold like, wow, this is getting, and then they told some backstory in the middle and it's the, the documentary started to drag. It was one or two episodes too many because a few of those middle episodes were a little boring. Do you remember that? Yeah. But I did like when they talked about what Keith did before Nexium. Do you remember what he did? Um, no, not really. He, he ran a multi-level marketing scheme, which is like a pyramid scheme, called Consumer Byline. And he... Uh, Consumer Byline Inc. And so it was basically like Herbalife or Amway or any multi-level marketing scheme where Keith would make the mm-hmm. money. But what he did was he ran this scheme in, in 1990. And he, what he did is he got people to come in and he promised them the world, you're going to make so much money. Of course, in a pyramid scheme, only the people at the top make money. So when everyone ran out of money or when everyone time came due for them to make money and they didn't make any, the whole thing fell apart. And Keith Ranieri 
uh, got investigated by 20 states. New York filed a lawsuit alleging the organization was a pyramid scheme. He signed a consent order permanently banning him from participating in a multi-level marketing scheme, and he had to pay a $40,000 fine. So I think what he realized was you can't promise money because if you tell someone the check's in the mail or the money's coming, you just have to sell more product. And then they sell more product and you say the money's coming, you just have to sell more product. Eventually they're going to say this is BS. I've sold so much product, I should have $15,000 in my pocket and I have zero. And they're going to quit and they're going to revolt and then you're going to get fined by the state of New York. If you promise joy, you can say the joy is coming, you just have to do some more work. You have to do a few more classes with Nexium. You have to uh, sign up for a few more of our programs, our intensives, I think that's what they call them. You have to come here for four days, you have to fly to Albany at your own expense and then pay us to take more classes and then the joy will come. And it's sort of like religion, like we tell evangelists, where I'm gonna try to heal you of your malady. And if you're sick after I'm done doing my thing, it's because you didn't have faith. You know, if you go through the program and you don't feel joy, that's a failing with you, not a failing with me. The program works, but it only works if you do it the right way. That's sort of how he was able to get people on the hook. And it's like, oh, it's too bad you're still not feeling joy. You know what would make you feel joy? Giving us more money. That's how, that's how it always works, right? Mm-hmm. Very good point. Very good point. And I, that is very, very true. Very true. And um, so he, he really did uh, control people. He began, uh, you had the, uh, I, I, the point is that initially he's offering joy. And so people who need that joy, who doesn't, they come in and they find it uh, a place. Uh, but then when that joy comes from a, a person or a thing that you worship, then all of a sudden it starts going uh, dark. And there's parallels of that too. I, I, I saw a documentary on Jim Jones mm-hmm. uh, and his, and I thought, wow, when I was younger, and I thought, wow, you know, this is something that everyone should, uh, uh, it should be required for everyone to look at and study. And now Nexium is another one. Mm-hmm. Nexium did something very similar, uh, except Jim Jones, the, the, the end of it was pretty, pretty abrupt. Uh, but those kinds of things can happen uh, with, uh, with any organization with someone at the top. Yeah. And so I think, uh, the, uh, and, and it's happened in countries. It's happened in religions. It's happened in, uh, in groups like Nexium or Jim Jones, uh, church. Uh, and, and so it's happened over and over and over again. So I think when we teach our children about, uh, uh, math and, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, and everything, and how to play fair, I think we, when they get older, I think we should also teach them about things that have gone wrong, and this is how they go wrong, because there was a lot of young people in Nexium. Oh, yeah. And they're teens, uh, late teens and early 20s, Well, and there's where you're vulnerable. The interesting thing is, 
the because he had been around. He started Nexium in the late '90s, and this was 2020 that the documentary came out. The people from the late '90s and the 2010s, they had fallen by the wayside. I think they aged out because it always was a bizarre sex thing. Uh, and it's kind of interesting when we watch One Night in Miami. Malcolm X, he was facing friction with the Nation of Islam because Elijah Muhammad was the leader of the late Nation of Islam. And Elijah Muhammad had young girls stashed in apartments all over Chicago that he was going around having sex with. And Malcolm X was a devout Muslim. And he said, this doesn't track with me. I know this guy is the leader, but that doesn't seem very Muslim to me to have women stashed all over the city that you go and have sex with. And it's, it's always, it's, I think it's a rare person that can have people eating out of the palm of his hand and wants to be the leader that tells people how to live their lives. Because I think that if you, if you want to tell people how to live their lives, there's something inherently different about you. I mean, I don't want to tell anyone how to live their lives. I couldn't imagine telling thousands of people how to live their lives. But if you are that type of person, I think you may have a greater likelihood of turning it into a weird sex thing. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because everyone, uh, it was a good point. Good point, David. Everyone has has uh, uh, talents and, and ability and intelligence and and also everyone, every person will have influence over other people. You may, you, you may not think you do, but you do. And so the question is, some people uh, want to expand that more and more and more, and some people don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and so some people, when they expand it, well, it gets deep inside of their, their character. Do they just want to be good or do they want to just uh, satisfy themselves at the expense of others? And so there's all different kind of people out there, and so you have to be careful how how uh, how you uh, how you go through life. Mm -hmm. I, I, so it's a very good point. I mean, I think that a lot of times, though, someone that sort of can control people, and that's what Bonnie saw it was like a high control group. When you're in a high control group, and she's like, "That's when I I googled high control group." And I wanted to leave because I was in a high control group. Let's Google or let's Wikipedia high control group. And let's take a look at it, okay? Oh, wait. Okay. What happened? What happened? Oh, high control group redirects to cult <laughs> on Wikipedia. So I'll just I'll just Google it. Just we'll just go to cult. A cult. Uh, actually, the Wikipedia says. A cult is a social group that is that is defined by its unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs, or by its common interests in a particular personality, object, or goal. That's a very that's a very good, simple uh, explanation of a cult, mm -hmm. a social group. That, a, that's very true. It's social. Here's a long blog post by secularliturgies.wordpress.com. So I, don't, I, mean, I can't vouch for this, but characteristics of high control and cult groups. There is opposition to critical thought, number one. 
Um, Interesting. Self-doubt is encouraged. We saw this a lot in Nexium, right? Yes. So it's like, I just, I have some reservations about putting my life on hold and moving to Albany and putting my life savings into Nexium. And Keith would say, that's just your fear talking. Do you want to live in fear or do you want to live in joy? And they're like, yeah, I guess it is just my fear talking. And Laura pointed this out when we were watching the documentary. Fear is good. Fear is an instinct that we've developed, you know, through evolution to <laughs> warn us of danger. And in, right. and in his teachings, he was saying your fear is what's keeping you from joy. But the thing about fear is that it's a highly honed evolutionary process that sort of allows you beyond reason to say, I'm afraid and I don't quite know why, but that fear is my instinct telling me that there's danger here. And the danger sometimes, I mean, sometimes you're afraid and you take the, you accept the danger and something good happens, but more often than not, you're afraid because what you're doing is dangerous and reckless and it's going to hurt you. So you should be afraid of doing it. And then you don't do it. It's, but to sort of make fear as a blanket bad thing that you have to avoid or, you know, you have to confront always. I'm afraid that quitting my job and joining this cult and giving you all my money is bad. That's just your fear. That's asinine. But it makes sense at the time when you're in the cult, right? Which, yes, but looking at it objectively here, which is a very good point, David, notice that we three were watching this. Mm-hmm. And Laura had had her perspective uh, and that this is what I think, you know. And so do we say, oh, do we say, no, 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 that's not right. We go, well, we understand what you're saying. Because. And you're right. Because we. <laughs> because there's not, there's not opposition to critical thought. No, there's not. <laughs> and self-doubt is discouraged. <laughs> that's right. If you don't, if you don't want to do it, there, there may be something there. As a matter of fact. Uh, the doubt, uh, when people have doubt, when people have fear, even around you, sometimes you don't see things other people do. And even in that, it says, oh, I don't know, this doesn't sound right. You know, be careful. And uh, they will warn you because they might see things you don't. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I should take uh, you and Michael out with me. And a couple of times I remember you guys would say... Uh, you guys would say, hey, that uh, I remember one time I was one of my people I was talking to and you and Michael were saying, I don't like that person. He says, you don't. He's, he's nice. He's nice. And I don't like how he talks. Oh, OK. But from then on, I was very careful with that person. And I was very I, I watched out for it. And I, maybe this is a stretching it here. But anyway, fear. Uh, Doubt is healthy for you and evil people around you who love you. Mm -hmm. And I think we saw that in Exium because they really cared about people who were going down the hill. Listen to people who really care about you. Yeah. I like one of my favorite scenes is when Mark tells his mom that he's quitting Nexium, And she is just like, oh, you wasted 10 years of your life in that stupid group. I'm so glad that he left. Um, <laughs> she knew from the beginning, probably. Yeah. 
Magical thinking is prevalent. That's number three. We saw that, Kurt, right? See, what, what, uh, did you Google this? What'd you Google? Oh, let me just, uh, put it in chat. How does that sound? Okay. Twenty-five, 25 signs you're in a high control group. Wow. It's Interesting. Just, it's just some lady's blog, but I think it looks like she did a lot of work on this. So, so shout yeah. out to Anastasia Somerville Wong and her blog, secularliturgies.wordpress.com, because it's allowing us to sort of delve deeper into the mechanics behind Keith Ranieri's control of his bizarre volleyball sex cult practitioners. Yeah. So, so Shout here, out to Anastasia. Good job, Anastasia. Magical thinking okay. is prevalent. We see that. That's why um, I bristle when people, they adopt holistic or homeopathic remedies for things. They believe in um, cures or medicines or practices that aren't really backed by science. I, I'm skeptical of all of that because I don't know. I mean, I think that people spend lots of money on things that aren't real. I, and that's one thing I love about Mark Cuban on the Shark Tank. <laughs> I was thinking him too. <laughs> when someone has, oh, this is a miracle cure. He's like, no, it's not. Like, get out of here. He hates quacks. That promote things as, you know, oh, if you wear this copper wristband, you won't get cancer. He's like, get out of my sight. Like, that's not how it works. Um, that, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Literally, he will not buy it. Yeah, he's on Shark Tank. Leaders claim to have special insight and supreme knowledge. We saw that with Keith Ranieri, right? Mm -hmm. And the crazy thing is, because did you watch the Dr. Todd Grande video I showed you about Keith Ranieri? So he went to the he went to one of your alma maters. He went to RPI, and they said, "Oh, he has oh, a, yeah. he's got a 280 IQ. He's the smartest man on the planet." And uh, there's records there. And Todd Grande was like, "Yeah, I looked into his records, and he had a 2.1 GPA. He didn't even graduate. <laughs> like the smartest man in the world can't get an A in in undergraduate courses. I mean, yeah, RPI is a good school, but mine." My GPO is higher than his. Yeah, maybe you should have. Maybe you should have started a cult. But then he'd I be in prison started. now, right? <laughs> no, I wouldn't do what he did. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. If I had a cult, if I had a cult right now, if I had thousands of people following me, I think what would happen within a year is all of those people who followed me would be dispersed and doing their own thing. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I would, I want people to be happy doing their own thing. Yeah, spread you your know? wings and fly. Spread your wings and fly. You know, don't come in here. Go out there. You know, uh, if you come in here and you stay in this cage, your 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 wings will get tired and go away. You got to fly and and to to, yeah. Anyway, the leadership is authoritarian, charismatic, and narcissistic. Who does that sound like? 
Yeah. Uh, Is there a political leader that that reminds you of? Uh-huh. Well, what's scary is that this, yeah, you're talking about Trump, but you're scary because this, this really does happen. It has happened in the past, uh, and I think it's been happening today. I think you um, could say I'm talking about Trump, but you could also say I'm talking about Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, Recep Tayyip uh-huh. Erdogan, Rodrigo Duterte, yeah. Viktor Orban, Jair Bolsonaro. There are a lot of authoritarian, narcissistic, charismatic leaders in the world today, more than there were 20 years ago. Well, you gave examples of what I was trying to say that, uh, what I was not trying to say, but trying to articulate, and you, artic- you articulate it much better. It has happened, it's happening today, and it will happen in the future. It's something that you have to always be on guard because it's always gonna happen, right? Mm-hmm. And charismatic, I mean, like the lady, uh, along number five here, the lady that you brought up uh, was crying. I think you that showed it on this podcast. She's crying. She says, Trump, save us. Oh, yeah. Save us. Trump, save us. Save us. Trump, save Okay, what do you mean? What are you calling him to save us? We have a whole country here. We have a, a Congress, and she's calling to one person to save him? Well, that's, that's, that's exactly what number five is saying, the leadership. That's the only one who can save you. Mm-hmm. Number six, leaders are not accountable to other authorities. That's interesting because I think they said Keith Ranieri set it up so that nothing was in his name. And he thought that that would protect him from any liability from the legal authorities. Uh, Which is fascinating, you know? Well, hey, David, you know what I think of when I see this? What? Religious groups. Yeah, and if, if religious troops say, "Oh, uh, yes, you do what I say, because God is on your side, and everyone who's not with us is against us," and so they claim God is on their side, so therefore anything they say goes. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a religious cult, and I don't care what you call it, I don't care what denomination it is. I don't care what, okay, boy, am I getting, uh, I'm, I'm saying out there exactly what I feel. And some people will say, oh, that's heresy. Uh, yeah, in your church, it's heresy because, uh, when you claim authority, uh, above any, uh, when you say God is on your side, you're claiming authority above God because you're saying you are more powerful than God. Yeah. You know? and, and so I, 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 I back, when I was younger, uh, that was one of the first things that, that I, I said, no, this isn't right. He says, you can't just say I'm right and they're wrong, uh, you know, because God is God of everyone. Uh, and so when they start claiming that God is on their side and God is not on your side, they're saying, I'm a God. Mm-hmm. And I, so I began saying that. Not in some of the organizations I was in, but a lot of the people in the organizations were claiming it. Yeah. And so it, it's a very easy uh, to people start to do, uh, but then, no, uh, they're just trying to control you. Yeah, where you, and think, I think, you think you're an apostle, but you're actually a Pharisee. <laughs> right? <laughs> you think you're an apostle, you're really an apostle. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's right. Actually, that's very true. 
I mean, are you behaving like the apostles or are you behaving like the Pharisees? Are you a disciple or an apostle or disciple or are you a Pharisee? Yeah. That's right. You're right. There are draconian... Oh, go ahead. uh, And a lot, uh, a lot of churches today who mean well, without them really thinking about it or knowing it, they're moving in that direction. More of a Pharisee than an apostle or a follower of Jesus. Yeah, are they moved in that direction 75 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago. It's always been that way. They've it's always been the Pharisees. It'll always be that way. There will always, there'll always be people like that. Yeah. And so you have to always be on the lookout. You're not going to solve this thing. You have to just always be on the lookout and protect yourself and protect the lo- those you love. Mm-hmm. What's the next one? Seven? There are draconian and intrusive rules for members. We saw that with the branding of oh. his initials on the girl's pubises. And that was... Yeah. Uh, that's one thing, but a lot of it is he restricted their calories. He would call them at all hours of the night, and then he'd have his, uh, you know, his minions do it as well. I hate to say disciples, his minions. That's a better word, right? We have followers. I think they're called. They were called followers in the uh, in the uh, documentary. Uh, the documentary we saw in the movie we saw. Uh, the leaders are above the law. So it's do as I say, not as I do, right? Like sort of like with Elijah Muhammad. It's, yeah. you know, you have to be a strict Muslim, but I'm going to stash girls all over the city and, you know, go have extramarital sex with them. Even the Christian religion, David, uh, you know stories of saying, oh, you know, this is how you should behave, and then they get caught. Oh, Ted Haggard, a Colorado... Colorado legend, Ted Haggard. Let's take a look at his story, why don't we? Number eight, Haggard, yeah. Is that the one? Ted Haggard, evangelical pastor from the New Life Church in Colorado Springs. Uh, Just our, practically our backyard. He was a big, if you're gay, you're going to hell type of guy. Saying the by the Lord hates nothing more than homosexuals, and his church would cheer him on. And then in November 26th, he got caught with a male prostitute doing methamphetamines in a truck stop bathroom. And it's like, oh, do as I say, not as I do. Right? There you go. Do you think Actually, a lot? Of- it, it's always ha- it's happened in the past. It's happening today. It'll. Keep happening in the future. Some things don't change. Go Do you ahead. think a lot of uh, the vitriol, the the rage with which you say homosexuality is bad, can be attributed to the fact that he was gay? Uh, I'm sure there's some psychological things around that. Right? Yeah. Someone who knows more about that and, and psychosis than we do, than I do. I would feel Probably like so. if he Probably were... So. You know, because he was gay and his religion was saying that being gay is bad, he came down on it extra hard. And he's like, if I say it extra loud, God will forgive me when I go to this truck top bathroom and have sex with this guy on crystal meth. You know, whereas someone who is confidently and securely heterosexual would say, well, there's stuff in the Bible that would indicate that, you know, God has a less than accepting attitude of homosexuality, but you know, it's not even one of the commandments. Like <laughs> have no other gods before him. Don't commit adultery. Focus on those first. Don't kill anyone. Don't steal. Honor your mother and father. Uh 
why are you focusing whole sermons on this when it's not even one of the commandments, you know? There's no commandment, thou shalt not be homosexual. Yeah. You know? You know, I, so the point is, yeah, it's a very good point. I think I think there's some psychology in there that some people, would, when they are speaking loudly about something, maybe they're hiding something that they do. Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, kind of like, uh, wow, when you're really enraged about something, or no, when you're not enraged, but when you, when something's bigger than life, Maybe there's a reason for it, mm -hmm. and maybe you're doing it, you know. The flow of information is subject to censorship and control. We saw this in Nexium. People would leave, and then they would say, you know, Keith stole all my money, and I'm going to try to get it back. And he, they would file a flurry of lawsuits against them and say, we're going to just bankrupt you with lawsuits because we have the Bromfman money. But they would tell everyone in Nexium. Oh, they betrayed us. You know, they betrayed us. They had an opportunity on January 6th to vote to overturn the election, and Mike Pence didn't do it. He betrayed us. He's persona non grata. Did you know that in the straw poll at CPAC, Trump, uh, and of course CPAC is not the Republican Party, but Trump was the odds-on favorite to be the 2024 nominee for the Republican Party, and Mike Pence got less than 5% of the vote. Because he didn't overturn the election, you know. Um, so is the CPAC or Trump, is that a cult? CPAC is the, I would say, the most wacko conservatives that didn't rub poop on the walls of the Capitol. You know. The whole group is elitist with an elite inner circle at its core. I think you have to do that. I've, I've read about this before. You have to create an us versus them mentality uh, to make someone join a cult. Like the rest of the world doesn't understand what we're doing. What we're doing is important. And when someone says, like Mark, Mark Vicente's mom, when she says, you got to get out of that cult. It's crazy. You're wasting your time. He says, you don't understand what we're doing is important. And I think that's a, a very necessary facet of establishing a cult is establishing an us versus them mentality. So the group as a whole has to be elitist. And then, of course, the leaders are even more elitist than the group members. Mm -hmm. There's a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Threats are made against members who leave. We saw that in Nexium. Very much so. Uh, outsiders and outsider groups are slandered and vilified. Yes. They if you're not with me, it's kind of like, <coughs> I mean, this this is a stretch, a little bit of a stretch. Uh, but when uh, when Trump was asked about John Lewis, uh, was it you know what he did for the blacks? He goes. Uh, yeah, but no one has done more blacks than me. He goes, well, wasn't, don't you think, I don't, you can't remember exactly what the question was. Like, don't you think John Lewis was a great man though? And so he said, his answer was, he didn't come, he didn't to, come, my, yeah. he didn't come to my inauguration. It's very interesting. So, uh, it's not that he was vilified, but he slandered, like he, he's not with me. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what he does. He's not with me. Yeah. 
who cares that he laid his life on the line to advance the cause? Like, he's not with me now, so he, he's persona non grata. Members yeah. become increasingly isolated from former companions. Uh-huh. That's a cult thing for sure. Your whole life becomes the network of the cult. That's what I mean by the family. And also in, in Nexium, a lot of the parents go, oh, no, my children. And the children didn't listen to the pa- parents who loved them. Mm-hmm. The group identity takes precedence or replaces the individual identity. I think you can see this, though, not just in cults, but in relationships. Uh, that's true. Whoa. That's a good point, David. Uh, wow. You know, are you talking about marriage? Oh, yeah. Or, you know, if someone has a controlling uh, girlfriend or spouse or, or boyfriend or husband, and you talk to them about their lives, and you might have known them, let's say, in high school before they got married, and they were an individual, and now their life is... I mean, yes, they've they've lost their individuality. Their life is the group, the two of them. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I've, that if we're going to get into, I like to get into marriage a little bit. Uh, what I've noticed because marriage is becoming important in our family, and that is, uh, you have to retain your individuality, but also you have to also understand the. The other person has to retain their individuality, okay, when you have a partner. Uh, but then you have uh, an identity together and you have identity apart. And so you have to have both of those to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And so what happens in, in a lot of times when people come together in, in a partnership, uh, that they lose their identity in the other person and that's not good. And then... Uh, they retain their identity superior to the identity as a partnership. That's not good. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have a balance between those. And who teaches you that, you know? Yeah, well, uh, if your identity is fundamentally inseparable from the relationship, you're not going to handle a breakup very well. No, no, not at all. I remember when I was in high school, and I don't know why I was this way, but when you're in high school, you know, oh, yeah, uh, I have a boyfriend. I have a girlfriend. Oh, Bobby's my boyfriend. You leave him alone. Uh, Susie's my girlfriend. You leave her alone. You know, I hated that. Yeah. What are you doing? What? Uh, WordPress. Oh. Oh, we're uh, frozen. My video's frozen. Wait, no, no, we're okay. not. We're good. Um, okay. Anyway, I hated that because I go, wait a minute. I am me. Uh, don't don't connect me with this girl over here just because she says uh, I'm her boyfriend. And some of those crazy girls I never even went on a date with. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was nice to go. Oh, hi, hi, how are you? Oh, fine. You know, okay, boom. Well, that doesn't mean uh, I'm yours now. Mm-hmm. I hated that. Yeah. Uh, you need to keep your identity. Uh, but if you get married, then you have an identity together, but you can't. You also need an identity uh, separately. You need to retain your individuality. You you can't be the couple. Uh, I mean, I think that you have to be yourself and the couple. Yes, right. And that there's a balance there. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can't lose yourself in, in a couple. Yeah. Okay. Or, in, or in a group of people, like in a cult. In a cult. 
That's 14. What's 15? 15. The group performed secret rites and rituals. We saw that with Nexium. They were branding Keith Raniere's initials on girls. Uh, moving on, let's, get, let's finish this list real quick and then we'll sort of wrap it up with one question that I have. In okay. general, their events involve mind-altering practices. Whether mm -hmm. that's, you know, um, ritualistic or it's restricting calories and sleep. Yes, we saw that. Members frequently experience feelings of shame, guilt, fear, and dread. Yeah, if you're feeling those feelings, you're not really getting closer to joy. But you'll be told that you are getting closer to joy in an Nexium environment. Um, zealous commitment, loyalty, and dependence upon their leader. What does that sound like? <laughs> yeah. Um, groups have a preoccupation with new members and proselytizing. They did that. Sarah Edmondson started the Vancouver office and she was a great recruiter and the reason why she moved up the ranks is because she was so good at getting other people to join and that's sort of it's like a spiritual pyramid scheme where you know you get to be ahead of a branch and if if you bring people into the you're like a good salesman for the pyramid scheme uh target the vulnerable with love bombing and idealistic goals do you want to have joy? Of course you do. I like in The Office when Michael Scott says, do you want your life to be better, to be worse, or do you want it to stay the same? And all of his employees say, stay the same. Because they know <laughs> he's going to try to sell them on something they don't want. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we're almost there. Financial or economic exploitation. We saw that in Nexium. Punitive punishment, even physical abuse. Uh, evidence of sexual exploitation. I was telling I was telling my friend Ian, we had lunch yesterday. Have you seen The Vow? And uh, like, no, it's like, oh, it's this documentary about this cult. You know, he promises people the world, and it turns out to be this weird sex thing. And Ian's like, it's always a weird sex thing. <laughs> <laughs> and women especially are tightly controlled. And we saw that too. Oh, finally, deception is normalized and the ends always justify the means. That's all of them. Uh, what do you wow. think of that list? I think Anastasia really thought a lot about this. I think she's very smart and very perceptive. And I think this is a very good list. Uh, but I think that uh, secular liturgies, I think it's... Uh, uh, important to uh i got a feeling about the list like the list is great by mm -hmm. the way uh, again to shout out congratulations to anastasia for putting this together it's, it's very good but also my thought is uh these are just observations and the observations only valuable when a person can use them in real life and so in order for these to be beneficial, you have to have a system of support, social support, uh, some kind of a support that that these can be used effectively and positively. In other words, knowledge of them is, is not the same as actually benefiting from them in life. Yes. Okay. But so I guess I, I don't know how to say that right, but 
connecting it to, to your life. But I would say that knowledge of this stuff is important. I feel like Bonnie, she was the one that rec- she was told she was in a high control group. She Googled it. She might have gotten an article just like this. And she said, oh, my God, Nexium ticks all these boxes. Um, but you also have to not be so deep into it that's like, well, this is for other people. This is for Jim Jones, not Nexium. You know, you could read it and dismiss it out of hand because of irrationality. And a lot of that is magical thinking. I think that knowing this stuff is fascinating because people, they always try to sell you a bill of goods. Your car salesman wants you to buy that Corvette when you're 50 so that you're driving around because you want to feel young again. But the thing is, you'll spend 45 grand on a Corvette. You'll drive it off the lot and you'll still be 50. (laughs) You're still going to be 50. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And it's like, it's the magical thinking that they convince you into. And at some point you have to tell yourself, no, I'm going to kind of look pathetic to be, you know, middle-aged, slightly past middle-aged and driving around in a Corvette. Like, uh, uh, but, uh, or also if that's who you are, you know who I am? I'm old guy, Corvette guy. Like, and that's, I, I, I embrace that. That's fine. But if it's, I want to recapture my youth. And then it's like a hollow, a Pyrrhic victory. You spend all this money and you drive around a Corvette and you're still, you still have hemorrhoids and a bad back. Like, you're not going to be young again because you bought the Corvette. And, like, you should understand why you're doing things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I just want to talk about one more thing because we've gone an hour before we go. Because it's in the thumbnail. Well, before you go, I just want to say, before you say that, mm-hmm. uh, I think what you said, David, was exactly, was ex- excellent. These things should be talked about. And these should be known. These should be explained. Everyone should see these things and judge everything that they do relative to these knowledge. Uh, is some, am I being controlled? Am I being this? Am I being that? I think it's good for everyone to know these things and then apply them to your lives as you as you live. I think that was excellent, David. We all need to know these things. These things should be taught. What Anastasia did here or other types of liturgies. This should be taught. This is what children should uh, should be seeing here. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to say now? So before we wrap up, because I put it in the thumbnail, we got to talk a little bit about the volleyball. Okay. Um, <laughs> I want to pull up, a, let's see if I can pull up a clip of the volleyball scene. Okay, yeah, they have Allison Mack meeting Keith Ranieri. Allison Mack was an actor from Smallville. And she was like the ringleader of the sex slave part of Nexium. And I guess people, I never saw Smallville. I think that I'm a little too old for it. But it's like a Superman thing. I don't know. But she was the biggest star because she was a star on this network show called Smallville. And she got roped into Nexium, and she was full, she full sent Nexium. And so this is her getting entranced by Keith Ranieri at the volleyball court. And I'll tell you what I said when I saw this for the first time. Now, here's a video that's really interesting. It's a video of uh, Keith Ranieri. Is that important to you? Yes. Um, why is that important to me? Because it's, um, I think it's, 
Because so much of who I am is wrapped up in the Give me an example. When I go to see a, a film or a piece of artwork or something happens to me, I'm so excited. And one blissful, joyful. You know, you can practice generating an extreme feeling of joy over anything. Mm -hmm. There are methods that we have, especially in 2C. That yes, goes it's uh, one of our intensives. It's, it's called that. Civilization. 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 What if artistic endeavors were really bogus? What if, mm. what if art was just an excuse for those who couldn't do it? Sometimes. The most excitement that you've ever felt, because you always have all the time, mm. independent of art. Mm -hmm. The bad news is you sort of have to divorce yourself from the thought that it comes from the art. Mm -hmm. If you feel that art is necessary for that, that's almost a self-condemnation. <laughs> Why is this an option? All right. There's a lot to unpack there, but when that wow, when that scene aired, I do you remember what I told you guys? No. What did you I, say? I said if I ever sacrifice my independence to some dork in a headband and knee pads on a volleyball court, <laughs> I want you guys to shoot me in the face. <laughs> That's what I said. Uh, uh huh. Um, it's a bunch of gobbledygook, right? Yeah. It was. Yeah. But the, the volleyball thing, it's just, I don't know. It's like like I was talking about a Corvette. A Corvette won't make you cool. But a Corvette is cooler than knee pads and a headband walking around on a volleyball court. It's the dorkiest thing. Um, uh, let's. I just want to play. Of course, this is not the best, but like this is the guy. This is the guy you're going to trust with your life? Look at how dorky he is. He's, yes. he's the biggest goober in the history of Earth. And you're going to sacrifice your independence to this guy? Knee pad volleyball guy? I don't know. Um, but in the show, they played volleyball, and he would be like, volleyball. And they would play from like 10 at night until 3 in the morning. And it's it just blew my mind that that could be something you incorporate into your doctrine. And anyone is on board with it. I just, volleyball is not cool. <laughs> That, that's my feeling anyway. Well, he used it. He used it effectively. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, what was her name again? Allison Mack. Allison. You know, she's young. She was young and talented. And uh, and she had feelings about she loved art. And that was what she liked. And so he used that uh, to convince her to move away from something that would, that would probably make her happy. Yeah. The, the first yeah, thing he did was to say, what do you love in this world? And he's like, well, there's other ways to achieve that love. And that way is in 2C, one of our classes. Why don't you come on board and start paying me money? And then she got hook, line, and sinker. You know, she's in jail now for being part of that cult and being one of the, the henchmen. And I feel bad, a little bit bad for her. But also, she committed crimes. So, yeah, um, I feel bad but for the criminal, but I feel worse for the victims. Quick. 
Yeah, but if she had missed, she hadn't have met uh, uh, Keith Raniere, would uh, would she be in jail? No, I doubt it. I doubt it too, and that that's sad. It's really sad that she didn't she didn't deserve that. But uh, so that's why he's in jail. Mm-hmm. But she did do it. So again, uh, be very careful uh, going down different paths. So anyway, this is yep, and I think we can uh, wrap it up here. The last thing I want to say is. I'll say it at once. I'll say it again. If I ever sacrifice my independence to some dork and a headband and knee pads, you guys just take me out to pasture and shoot me, okay? <laughs> On a volleyball court. So yeah, what, uh, do yeah. you have anything you'd like to close with? I'll cue up the Talking Leaf theme and I'll yeah. allow, allow you to close the show. Okay. I think, I think uh, this is really good information. It should be information that everyone should be, should know. So keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying. Bye.